I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. And we will be looking at verses 25 through 27 this morning in Matthew chapter 11. The divine plan. As you're turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, let me ask you a question. Can we be sincere with what we believe and be sincerely wrong? Can we be sincere with what we believe and be sincerely wrong? Yes. Yes, we can. This is why we have the Word of God. And this is why it's so very important that we understand that this is the Word of God and we believe it. And this is what Jesus is letting them know at this point. He's saying, what I've done, what I've been teaching, who I am. You need to listen. You need to understand. I'm giving that choice. If you reject it, then you're rejecting the truth. What you've been teaching can be sincerely wrong. I love the story, um, It's Wonderful Life, around Christmas time. And George is a young man that's working in the uh, uh, drugstore, you remember? And the pharmacist, the druggist, he's a wonderful man. He tries to help the community and has helped them. But he got a notice that his son had died or been killed in the war. And it shook him up so. And he was getting some medicine for one of the people in the community that needed the medicine and he told George to take it to them but George saw the message and he knew that he was disturbed and he watched him getting the medicine and putting it together and he saw him get the wrong bottle a deadly bottle and mix in the medicine and so he uh, would not take the the medicine to the uh, the family and so when he got back to the drugstore the pharmacist slapped him on this injured ear and it began to bleed and and started hitting him and he was so upset not at George as much as he was hurt and confused over what had happened and disturbed with what had happened with his son in the war and so he finally George got his attention and he tested it out and he, he was, George was right. It was poison that he had mixed in there. He was sincere in sending that medicine to them to get them better. He was sincere in thinking that he had done the right thing when he had made a mistake. He was sincerely wrong. And it was deadly wrong. I want to tell you, if we get this mixed up, if we get this messed up here, what Jesus is telling us in these verses, it is deadly wrong for all eternity. And he's letting them know up front, it is deadly wrong. Matthew has been revealing to us the identity of the Messiah by way of his teachings and his miracles. 
And the fulfillment of the uh, Old Testament covenant in the New Testament is a, a greater fulfillment than was expected. They weren't expecting this. Therefore, Jesus was, is a greater Messiah than what they were expecting. They were expecting what? Some military leader to come in and deliver them from bondage, the Roman rule. Jesus in the chapters following the Sermon on the Mount has been progressively demonstrating to them and to all around, to the disciples, who he is. And he is making it a, and he has been making it abundantly clear that he is the one that the prophets foretold. He is the one that the prophets spoke about. He is the one, as he mentioned earlier, that Isaiah mentioned that would perform these miracles. He is the expected one that John the Baptist sent his disciples when he was in prison to Jesus to ask him, are you the expected one? Jesus' re reply was what? From Isaiah, I fulfilled these miracles that you have seen me fulfill. And heard the teaching that I have done. And they went back to tell John. So the first thing that we need to look at in this passage is the praise for this divine process. We should be praising it. We should be praising it. Why? Why should we praise this divine process? Because number one, God wants us to. But number two, it should be a desire in our heart to praise it because it is God's divine way of carrying it out, which is a far better way than man could ever carry it out. I want you to look in verse 25. This lets us know that it's been a progressive event at that time. In other words, it's been building up to that time. Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, there it is, praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. So it has been a progressive unveiling. Jesus tells us that those who think that they have a privileged position of knowledge, of knowing all things, are blinded most often to the very things that they need to know and think that they know. We see this on many of the campuses. They have become so secular. The kingdom of heaven is not going to be proven by some scientific discovery or investigation it will not be the comprehensive fulfillment of someone's philosophy instead the kingdom confounds every philosophy it refutes all worldly philosophy and philosophical thoughts in 1 Corinthians 1 20 uh, through 22 and 27 it says where is the wise man he's asking where is the wise man thanks that he's all wise 
And then he gets more specific. What about the scribes, those that think that they know the scripture? Where is the big debaters of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? He says, when it comes up against the word of God, I take these fishermen. I take these people that are tax gatherers. I take these, uh, these people who nobody would choose and I confound you with the word of God. In verse 21 it says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. How many times have we heard people when we witness to them say, Oh, that is ridiculous. Or, you, do you believe that? I can't believe that you believe that. Do you not have any kind of intelligence? That's nonsense. He goes on, he says in verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. As far as we know, the disciples were not any graduates of colleges or universities nearby. They were just fishermen. As far as we know, they were not a part of the elite rich and famous. The disciples of the Lord were from the ranks of the lower class, if you will, among them. The fishermen, the tax gatherers, and the like. From the Beatitudes, we, under, uh, we understand their, their, the calling here. The calling for the disciples of the Lord. The poor in spirit, the wounded, the desperate. Jesus tells us in verse 25 of Matthew 11 that God has hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and has revealed them to babes. We must, now I want to take a pause once again. We are not depreciating in any way intelligence. We're not doing that. Nor is it a depreciation of, of wisdom. Because I want to tell you, the Bible puts high premium on wisdom, doesn't it? Proverbs lets us know that. We must recognize that there are two kinds of knowledge, two kinds of wisdom, if you will. There is the worldly wisdom, prized by the people of the world, and there is the kingdom wisdom, known by God's people. We're to be wise, but not wise in a way that is uh, that is the way of the world, but wise in a way that is different from the world. We are to be known for kingdom wisdom. And so, why this? Well, we're going to mention this in just a few moments, but I'll just go ahead and share with you. Who does this foolishness bring honor and glory to? The foolishness that the world would call it. It brings honor and glory to what? God, or to who? God and his kingdom. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and why. So the contrast between the 
the wise and the intelligent and babes is not between the knowledge and the ignorant or knowledgeable and the ignorant, the educated and the uneducated, the brilliant and the simple-minded. It is a contrast between who think they have all the answers but never seek God in his word for answers and those who depend upon God in his wisdom for answers in life. It is a comparison between who rely on themselves and who rely on God. You see, Jesus taught for all who hear and believe. You have to hear and you have to believe. He taught and he performed for all who would look and see and believe. But only those who do this are babes, he says. Only those could understand and believe. In other words, when we come to Jesus, we must come to him as a babe. One who is totally dependent upon God. Just like a babe is totally dependent upon their mother or father. You see, the issue is trust. That's it, people. It pleases God for us to what? Walk by faith. Not by sight. How often we do that. God is well pleased with that. So just like an infant trusting in their parents, so must the kingdom of God's people trust in Christ to not only enter the kingdom, but to continue to please God in the kingdom. That is a walk that we must have. In verse 26, it says, Yes, Jesus thus was well pleased in, or it was well pleasing in thy sight. Yes, Father, thus it was well pleasing in thy sight. You see, God is well pleased with the gospel of grace. Man can't understand it because he wants the work type salvation. He wants him to be included in it. He wants some praise and honor and glory to go to him. But the grace gospel, the grace salvation, brings honor and glory where it should be placed, and that is to God himself. He is pleased when that repentant sinner comes humbly and desperately to the Father through the Son and cries out to Him for that help, that forgiveness. Why? Because that means that they are helpless and powerless and they are, you know, past trying to work it out themselves and depending upon God, realizing that He is a great provider. That brings honor and glory to him. That pleases him. They have recognized their need for forgiveness and cleansing. And they realize that it's only through God's grace that that can happen. But then as we, before we move on to point two, it's pointed out in the epistles in many places. But in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9. 
this very fact. For by grace are we saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It is what? A gift of God. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest why? We could boast about it. So we should be praising God. It brings praise and, and honor and glory to Him when we recognize this. That His divine process, His divine plan is a plan that we couldn't come up with. Only God could. And why? Because we would be depending upon ourselves where God says you could never make it that way. You live in a fallen world and your attempts would all be fallen. But with me, I have the way. Because I am the perfect God. I am the holy God. I am the righteous God. And I can provide for you the way. The second thing, look at who he gives charge of this, the person in charge of this process, this plan. Matthew 11, in verse 27, we have a very important verse here that needs to be understood if the rest of Matthew is to be understood correctly. I mean, it is a, a verse that Keeps it all in line here. Man, you can circle this. You can highlight it, whatever. This is a very important verse to understand what has gone before and what is coming after. It is one of the most Christological verses in the New Testament. It says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. That is that close, intimate relationship. That relationship that has been going on for all eternity. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. That has been going on since all eternity. But, thank God, we can know the Son in an intimate way. We can know the Father in an intimate way. What? And anyone whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Praise the Lord for that last part. This is where Jesus' the Son is describing His relationship to the Father. Jesus is explaining the authority that the Father has invested in Him. Jesus is coming to earth. And he is remaining all God, but becoming all man. And this was in, you know, it, it was extended to him in the sense that he could reveal it to mankind here. It would be through him. He would be the one who would be going to the cross to make it all possible. Remember at the, the end of the sermon on the Sermon on the Mount, they said, this one is different from the scribe. Because he teaches with what? Authority. Now, did they have authority? Yes, by their position they had authority. They taught that way. 
But this meant that he taught with a unique authority. This is, this is so important. If you have a person who is having sickness, I mean serious sickness, you don't talk, take him to someone that is at the University of Georgia that is teaching humanity, that has a doctor's degree. You take him to a medical doctor that is <laughs> an authority in that area. I hope you won't. Please don't. Daniel and uh, Daniel has a unique story there, but we won't go there. <laughs> Not with him, but with uh, uh, someone else. Financial problem. <laughs> if you have a financial problem, you're not going to come to a person who has gone broke over and over and over again trying to get rich. You're going to go to a person who is an expert in that area, who has authority. I mean, a while back, I don't know if you remember this, Congress was holding hearings on a chemical substance known as Alar. You remember that? Uh, you probably don't. Uh, they want to keep it as quiet as possible. There was a controversy over whether Alar was injected into the apples. This was on the northwest coast. You can imagine it going being out there. It was causing a health, health problem. They thought, hey, is this causing a health problem? But the reason you probably didn't hear a lot about it, one of the authorities Congress called for testimony, get this, was an actress who played a doctor on TV. <laughs> and one of the newspapers wrote an article stating it seems Congress had forgotten what kind of authority it should seek for authoritative information when it comes to a matter of science. That story relates to this, doesn't it? It's very important to know what kind of authority we are speaking about. That Jesus is letting them know he has. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God, people. Jesus is speaking about the biggest issues in life. In other words, life and death issues. Heaven and hell. He's talking about eternity. He is talking about sin and redemption. He's talking about forgiveness and cleansing. The question is, by what authority is he speaking on these issues? He better know what he's talking about, hasn't he? And he's saying, I do. I'm your Messiah, but I am more than you were looking for. I am the Son of God. The question, by what authority is he talking about concerning these issues? I mean, there were rabbis that were teaching what the scriptures meant, and they'd use context against context and meaning against meaning, and they would come up with conclusions like this. This so often was their conclusion. They would say, now, on the one hand, it says this, but on the other hand, it says this. They were not conclusive. That's why they could say, oh, you teach with authority. 
different than what the script the scribes teach with now you know of course there's issues in life that you can kind of have that kind of, uh, that that conclusion i guess like if you were buying a a home you could say well on the one hand this home has this that we're looking for but on the other hand this home has this you'll see this in you know uh, these people on tv that are building or selling homes or whatever they'll show them these different homes it may even be political candidates you know on one hand this candidate says this and he's strong in this area but on the other hand this candidate believes this but with the biggest issues of life, this method just doesn't work. Asking a question and getting a question with a, uh, for an answer doesn't work when it comes with life and death. And Jesus showed them this. We often want an answer with a question. But with the big questions of life, we don't need another question. What we need is an answer and Jesus mode of teaching was very different there Jesus said you have heard it said but I say Jesus answers a question with an authority that was recognized as unique perhaps not well understood yet but unique now in Matthew eleven twenty seven, it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. This verse, as I said, is very important because it defines who Jesus is. Everything before this verse is leading up to his identity. And everything after this verse goes back to who he is we can understand why Jesus taught with such authority we can understand why he could heal the sick and cause a blind to see and and even raise the dead because all things had been handed over to him by his father what kind of authority did Jesus have the authority as of John says the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth Jesus had total authority authority handed over to him from his father Jesus lets us know here that he is the only begotten of the son or of the of God he leaves no room for any question he is either who he says he is or he is not he is a son of God who had all things handed over him by his father or he's not Jesus is holy incorruptible or he's not so all things can be trusted to him if he is who he is and it seems that he is who he is because he has said the father God the father has entrusted him with all these things so that tells us that he had to be in perfect harmony with the father it is a teaching on Christology, who Jesus is. But then there is the last question or last statement, and that is a provision included in the divine process. And 
I'm just going to say the only way to know God redemptively is through the Son. We can come back and speak a little bit on that later on, but no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. You see, that's why I'm back in verse 25. God has hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and given them to babes because the babes come to God and says, hey, uh, I can't understand it. I need it. I need to understand and I need help. And you're the only one that can help me. That's why John's gospel said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said it in it. No man comes to the Father except through me. You see, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. There's that part of, of Matthew eleven twenty seven, that intimate relationship there of the Trinity, that part of the Trinity. All things came in being by him, and apart from him nothing has come to, into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. There was no true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made him, by him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. And then it goes on in, in verse, um, later on in the verse, and it says, he became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is Christ that the Father is known to us, or has made known to us. And it is Christ who makes the Father not only known to us, but we can come to knowledge of that through Jesus. Because he is the one who makes all of this possible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. All things have been handed over to him. And then in his high priestly prayer. Verse 2. He's speaking to the father. Even as thou gavest him him authority over all mankind to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. This refers back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 22. Not only do you have the authority that is given to Jesus to reveal his true identity, but you also have the power and authority to bring those to believe in the Father, which is presented in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. It is through Jesus. Do you see the importance there of this? That verse, that verse is the verse that holds the whole teaching of Matthew before identity up to then, and then after looking back and seeing that that person with that divine plan 
is the Messiah, the Son of God. There's no other way. It's so important to understand this because if we don't understand this, number one, you can't become a child of his. You'll not have eternal life with him. You'll not spend eternity with him. It's only through Jesus Christ. I didn't make the rules up. Nobody else did. If we had made the rules up, it would have been a lot more complicated. Jesus made the plan. And the plan seems foolish to mankind. But he wants it that way because we just trust in him as he opens our eyes. And he brings about the results. Not man. He does. In the same way as we live. If we want to continue to please him and continue to be victorious in our Christian life, then day by day, it's simple. Oh, it's a warfare and it's difficult, but it's simple. We've got to trust in him. Not in ourselves, not in our own efforts. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. We've got to trust in him. And he'll give us a grace that's available for us to live the Christian life that we need to live. But it's by faith. Seems foolish. Seems impossible to mankind because you've got to do something. And we do live the Christian life. Don't get me wrong, but we don't do nothing. But to do something, we've got to trust in him with the power and the grace that he gives us to do it with. Let's bow our heads in prayer.